Hi, and welcome to the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and one of the founders of Einblick Consulting. Our goal is to share inspirational stories, tips, and insights from B2B marketers, digital entrepreneurs, and industry experts that will help you to think differently, succeed, and scale your business. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and today I have the pleasure of having someone on the show who has been practicing law for many years, has worked at some of the most prominent law firms in Canada, and like our podcast, has made it his mission to help entrepreneurs, startups, and B2B companies. So, Mr. Jonathan Ipp, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christian. It's uh, great to be here. All right. Awesome. So let's get this started and, you know, just uh, give us a little bit of background and uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been uh, a practicing lawyer for well over a decade. Um, I started my career at uh, one of the top uh, business law firms in the country, uh, Davies Ward, Phillips and Beinberg, uh, mm-hmm. where I, I really cut my teeth on the transactional work. So doing the capital markets, the fundraising side of things, as well as the uh, M&A, so the mergers, acquisitions, uh, buying and selling a business side of things. Um, right. and, and was really involved with both um, public companies, uh, private companies. Um, really got to cut my teeth on on the transactional side of uh, things. Um, I ended up working uh, after that with a, a company called Explorer Communications, uh, which is an internet um, a service provider based in Canada that provides internet to rural Canadians. So it's mm-hmm. areas where the large uh, telcos uh, won't uh, or can't spend the capital to pull out you know, fiber to provide the services. Um, and that's where I started to, uh, I think, get a better understanding of just how the work as a lawyer um, you know, really incorporates and, and it's a supporting role with the business. So working directly mm-hmm. with the business um, on the day-to-day, working with sales, HR, IT, um, you know, finance on on just helping the business grow and understanding very quickly that um, you have to be very very practical when it came to uh, providing services and um, and helping the business move forward. So I, I kind of took those experiences. Uh, you know, worked also at, at another large uh, law firm, uh, the largest energy firm in Canada called uh, Bennett Jones, uh, where I worked mm-hmm. with the technology group um, and and helped sort of work with. Uh, the entrepreneurs, uh, startups, scale-ups, um, you know, the tech side of things, uh, again, sort of continue to work with them from more of a holistic uh, business perspective. So looking at the legal, but also looking at what kind of practical business solutions can we have to help them with their business. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and so uh, my current um, uh, situation right now is I'm, I run my own practice. Uh, it's called Iterative Law, um, focusing more on helping uh, startups and scale-ups uh, with their business needs and uh, looking again at things from a corporate uh, legal perspective, um, security, uh, commercial, just helping the companies with um, growing their business uh, and helping them do it in a efficient um, and, and you know, ultimately compliant manner, but again, business first, you know, helping them drive their vision forward. Yes. All right. Wow. I mean, you, you know, that, that is indeed an extremely impressive list of credentials. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for sharing that. And, uh, you know, Jonathan, you brought up a really good point. And it's, um, it's uh, something that was, you know, uh, we, something we've discussed, like, uh, you know, uh, in a previous call, and even, even, even just like a couple of minutes ago, it's, um, you know, if you look at it from a, from a point of view of a, of an entrepreneur or a startup, it's it it, it kind of is um, applicable across the board. Uh, and when, when, what I mean by that is like you know, people don't really think about the law or consulting a lawyer until it's absolutely necessary. 
and it's probably and, and there's probably many reasons for that and uh and it, it's interesting and i'm sure you have uh you have your take on that so you know why don't you tell us a little bit more about that yeah it, it that that is well that's the reason why i started uh, my own practice which is that mm. um there i i saw a gap in or a need rather for earlier stage companies to um, access or have access to legal business strategic advice at a at a you know, in a way that helped their business drive forward. Because um, I think the traditional reason, one of the many reasons why companies or early stage companies don't get the legal advice they need early on is because they're worried about uh, the price at the end of the day. Right. You know, you go to, you can kind of go, you can go to the, the big law firms and uh, have access to, you know, lots of expertise, right? Hundreds of people mm. with various expertise, whether it's in business, corporate, securities, tax, what have you. But then the prices are commensurate to that, right? You're going to a full service yes. law firm and you're getting um, services uh, on an hourly rate for the, the, the services that you're looking for. And um, typically you pay cash only and you got to pay as soon as the deal, the, the work is completed. Or, you know, if you're first time um, uh, client, then they'll often require a retainer, and so you got to put up a bunch of money that sits in their trust account, and they deduct from that you know, their fees over time. And for mm-hmm. uh, earlier stage companies, I think that's a bit of an issue when cash flow is, um, the, you know, the biggest problem. And so the I think the reason why uh, you know entrepreneurs don't go in and seek legal advice early on is they think that oh, it's going to cost a ton of money, and you know I, I'll just do it myself, and and we'll figure it out later. It's a luxury that we can deal with later on, and. Right. What I want to provide is is that kind of service. The hey, you know, let's let's talk about these legal, uh, potential legal and business issues and strategy issues um, before you get yourself into trouble early on. Mm. And I want to provide that kind of um, advice in a way that ultimately aligns my, um, my I guess my um, success with theirs as well. So what I, I've been trying to do with my clients is to uh, you know scope out a particular project if they're looking for project-based services or, um, hey, they don't have a lot of cash. They want to spend more of it on the development side and build their mm-hmm. product first. That's mm-hmm. okay. Like, let's talk about, um, you know, there's ways of deferring the fees or if you want to pay equity. Um, my, my experiences also include blockchain and crypto. So I've taken right. crypto mm-hmm. payments in the past as well. So mm-hmm. just finding ways to make things as flexible as possible so that people do get that advice early on. Because I've dealt with a lot of clients um, where they didn't get the advice. They didn't go, um, you know, try to talk to somebody about this beforehand. And they went off and started their business with a co-founder. Everything was great until it wasn't. And then because mm. they had no legal documentation on who owned what and how they were going to deal with situation with the situation when things went bad or someone wanted to leave the business, um, they, they didn't really have an easy way out. It just became a large and difficult uh, First, it wasn't a negotiation. It was more, you know, a lot of hurt feelings and anger first, yes. which ultimately resulted in a negotiation once people realized that they need to do it. But then they had lawyers involved. So then the cost of dealing with that situation after the fact was, you know, I'd say at least five to 10 times more than it would have cost if they had just gone to first and gotten some documents put in place. Right, exactly. And and I mean, you know, that's a that's such a great approach, um, you know, to this um very you know clearly vibrant ecosystem that you're you know you're focusing on uh, Jonathan and uh, you know um, it clearly I think the, the order of the day is um, you know prevention before detection and that's even applicable um, you know when, when it comes to you know the law right from a legal uh, yeah point. absolutely mm-hmm. and and you know the, I, I like I look at at the reason why people don't want to talk to lawyers is 
very much mm-hmm. like, oh, well, getting life insurance. Like no one wants to yes. think about getting insurance because it makes you think about all the potentially terrible things that can possibly happen to you. Why mm-hmm. do you get insurance? It's when something bad happens and it's there to protect you. Well, I don't want to think about the possibility of me dying or, you know, I'm going, I go bankrupt or someone sues me or I've done something wrong with my business. But, yeah. um, you know, I think there's a way to look at it as like, you know, to your point, it's not... Uh, it's not that, hey, these are all terrible things that could happen. It's mm. let's just spend a couple of minutes to think about um, how how we can prevent things from going wrong in the future. And mm-hmm. and from a legal perspective, in my view, it's looking at, hey, take that excitement of building a new business and building a new product and just mm-hmm. think through the entire life cycle because it's not just, hey, we're excited and, and, and we're started and everything's great. It's well, what if life gets in the way? What if um, right. you know someone gets tired of, of running this business after two years, they want to focus more on family, or mm-hmm. they need to move somewhere else and they can't devote their time to this anymore? What if, you know, God forbid, one of the co-founders gets hit by a bus the next day? How, right. how you, what's the business continuity? You know, have you thought about that? And in an ideal situation, similar to, to insurance, you think about it once, you put the documents in place, throw it in the drawer, never look at it again. But... Mm-hmm. If you ever do come across a situation where something has, has gone wrong, then at least you have a plan in place and you can enact it or at least look to it for guidance. Exactly. No, Jonathan, those, those, those are really some, you know, great points that you've brought up. And, you know, a lot a lot of what you said is also applicable in, in my world. Uh, you know, it's like uh, you can say it's like same story, different characters in the world of branding, because, it's you know, by the same token, um, entrepreneurs or, you know, B2B startups, um, they they probably don't know, they you know at, um, early on in the piece they don't really want to invest a lot of money uh, in you know developing a solid brand strategy and what have you and there's many reasons for that and uh, while I totally understand that there's also uh, the other side of the equation um, you know and to your point it's um you, you know they need to think about okay well what if they what if they take this to market and um, they're not really sure who their target audience is or they don't know how to differentiate their product um, in such a way that it attracts the right um, target group, right? So it's it's all of these things that, and, and, and you know, just, just as you've rightfully alluded to, it's also these things where, you know, why don't we have this discussion early on in the piece before you make the mistakes later on and then, and then it might become a, you know, a, a costly investment or undertaking. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to your, I think, you know, uh, to that point, mm. it's also the, uh, some of the entrepreneurs and founders I've seen, they, they've taken the approach of a, you know, we'll, we'll build it and they will come. And I don't think that works mm. in this day and age. Um, yeah. you, you do have to kind of look at things from a very holistic perspective. So um, That's right. know, engaging someone like you for, for that branding and customer targeting, I think you need to know who, who it is that you are targeting your product to. And, that will actually help engage on the product development. You know, like if you don't, if you're developing a vacuum, um, it, you don't really know why you're building what you're building. Ultimately. Correct. Correct. That's 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 absolutely right. So, um, you know, Jonathan, you spoke about it a little bit earlier, but what is it that motivated you to enter the world of entrepreneurship after you know having worked at all these um, big law firms for for such a long time? Yeah, so uh, my my last um, uh, position before I started my own firm was with a uh, uh, Chinese merchant bank. Um, mm-hmm. So they hired me to uh, lead their, their legal team, but more importantly, to uh, build out their advisory services um, and, and focus on uh, business development in North America. So th- these services was to um, help companies in the blockchain space. 
Um, so, you know, a very fast moving, still nascent uh, industry um, that's probably best known for Bitcoin and Ethereum and, uh, right. you know, the, the, the everything associated with crypto. But the, the technology itself is actually quite interesting. A lot of interesting applications there. Um, mm-hmm. But we were helping companies, um, you know, try to look at things from a legal perspective um, in, a, in a global way. Um, so legal yep. and business advisory. So uh, blockchain technology, by in you know, is is global in nature because it's it's based off, off of internet technology. Um, but the laws that govern the uh, the use of it and what what you can do with it is uh, jurisdictional. So it's based mm-hmm. on the countries. And so you, because it was moving so quickly, you have countries that were um, you know looking at it and and trying to innovate and adapt their laws and regulations with it. In other words, that we're just taking more of a, a slower approach. And so what we were do- doing was helping co- companies try to understand, you know, what exactly could you do or, or try to do in, say, uh, the U.S. or Canada versus doing, some, you know, doing something else in, say, Singapore or Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was that uh, when, you know, do, doing, meeting a lot of these, these uh, companies and a lot of these entrepreneurs, uh, because it's an early industry, there, there are a lot of earlier stage companies that, uh, weren't really a right fit for the company I was working with, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they needed legal advice and they needed business advice. They needed someone to talk strategy and they need someone that, that understood that in a fast moving industry, you had to be nimble, you had to be flexible, and you had to really kind of understand um, uh, just how to help them grow their business. And that's how I ended up starting my own firm because uh, I wanted to work with these earlier stage companies. I wanted to provide um, good, solid legal uh, services, but also bring in the experience that I have from working with companies at all stages to help them grow their business and to help them succeed. That's a, that's a really great story. And, uh, you know, um, to your point about like working with uh, companies that are in blockchain or cryptocurrency, I mean, you know, obviously those are, you know, that's a sector that's still continuously evolving. So, um, you know, exciting times ahead is what I'm going to say to that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, every year something's or even less. Like I think the yes. uh, the saying in, in crypto and blockchain is that one year in blockchain is seven years in every, any other industry. So things just move so quickly. And, yeah. um, you know, part of the excitement, like I, I work a lot with blockchain companies, I, but yeah. I've also had the opportunity to expand more into uh, AI, more traditional right. fintech, uh, you know, software-based companies as well. Um, mm. So that that was part of my, you know, decision uh, when, when coming to, start my own firm was to be able to work with other companies, but I really enjoy working with companies that are trying to push the edge. And um, when it comes to not only the the technologies, but the solutions, um, that does mean that, um, you know, the existing laws uh, and regulations uh, may not be, uh, be ready to handle what they're about to do. And so helping them try to understand what the potential limitations might be, but also the um, opportunities is, uh, is one thing that I, I really like working with them on. And also, um, you know, helping them understand uh, as as laws get more defined, as uh, you know, certain cases come out and uh, interpretations come out, um, what they should be aware of and how they uh, should adapt their business to either take advantage of those new rules or to adapt their business to avoid getting into trouble down the road because others have. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's absolutely right. And, you, you know, you brought up some really good points about, like, you know, adapting to changing circumstances, and we'll definitely get to that in a second. Um, but, but before that, um, you know, you know, you've been a, you've been a practicing uh, lawyer for many years now, and, you know, uh, you've worked at some of the largest law firms in Canada before you decided to set up your own practice. And as you've uh, rightfully described um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of minutes ago, 
you focus on delivering legal services to entrepreneurs and uh, growth-oriented companies in the B2B space, as well as tech startups. So as you're well aware, there are many mistakes that startups can make if they don't do their due diligence. And by due diligence, obviously, that, in, uh, you know, that involves um, seeking legal counsel, not just when they need it, but you know, also for, you know, in order to plan ahead. Right. So just in your um, professional opinion and from your experience, names, uh, name the top five mistakes that you've seen startups making and what others can do to avoid making these mistakes. Yeah, I, I think one of the top mistakes is um, not formalizing the business arrangements with the founders, the, the founders or the co-founders early on. So, um, you know, often it's uh, a, a couple people um, who maybe are friends or business associates who've worked together for a while, and now they want to go up and start their own business. And they, they're focusing only on the positive, which is, hey, I'm working with my friends. Uh, you know, we, we get along well, and we'll build this business in, in no time. We'll be super successful. Uh, you know, let, let's not worry about the, the legal or the financial or any of that. You know, yes, we need some money to get started, but maybe we'll use our own funds. Our friends will come and help us. But, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the rest of it later. And mm -hmm. then they start building and they keep building and then they, something happens, you know, it could be, um, you know, one of the co-founders decides this isn't for me. I want to do something else or, uh, you know, life changes and, uh, and, and they have no documentation to help them extricate themselves from uh, whatever that situation might be. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, particularly when it comes to um, co-founders, you know, 50, 50 ownership, let's say in a yes. business, uh, assuming they've even spoken about that mm -hmm. um, there, there's just, there isn't an easy way for them to uh, untangle that if they're not in, uh, in in a position to do so in the sense of the relationship. Um, you know, often when someone wants to leave, the other person gets really hurt and um, then they, you know, it just turns into a fight. And I've mm -hmm. seen that time and time again. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest issues. Right. Um, kind of around that is, is the, um, the other, you know, another mistake connected to that is not thinking through early on how to set up your business from a you know a legal tax business perspective so mm -hmm. for example you know do you want to incorporate or are you just going to run this on your own as a sole proprietor if you're by yourself yes. um, if you've got co-founders and you don't incorporate the default is you're in a general partnership and that can be a bit of a problem because general partnerships are uh, everyone has um, unlimited liability for everyone else's actions so um you know my my advice to most people is you should, if you're working with more than one person, you know, spend a few hundred dollars, set up a corporation, issue ownership, you know, figure out want to, um, you know, divide up the assets and, and, and deal with situations um, as they move forward through the, uh, the, the corporate side of things. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, other aspect is give, keeping good corporate records, keeping um, just good records generally. Uh, it's yeah. so easy to fall behind on the documentation, but oh, yeah. when you need that, um, particularly for a lot of companies who are looking to get external financing, you're going to, you know, um, venture capitalists, uh, angel yes. investors, they're, they're going to want to make sure that you've got all the paperwork done properly and that, um, mm -hmm. you know, it gives them that comfort that you're, you're running a good business. Well, just everything uh, in black and white, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, it, it's not to say that you can't fix a lot of these things if, um, you know, if you've forgotten to do some paperwork or anything like that, but um, it's about perception. You know, you get a potential investor super excited about the business. Then they say, okay, great. Can I just do some due diligence? I want to do some digging and, mm -hmm. and just make sure that your business is running properly, that, you know, I believe in your projections and um, I, I understand what the ownership of the company is. 
produce the documents in a, um, I'd say, organized and and you know coherent manner, it just puts some doubt around to uh, in that investor. Like, well, if they can't keep the their own internal documents up to date, how do I know that they actually know what they're doing when they're running the business? So, right. um, it, it's about trying to make things as smooth as possible, and, and mm-hmm. keeping good records is good is important that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other sort of top mistakes I see is more on the HR side. Um, so, you know, are you hiring someone as an employee versus um, bringing them on part-time as an independent consultant? Some mm. of the concerns around, you know, yeah. just the classification. Um, you know, do you have the proper agreements to, to indicate who, what they are supposed to be with respect to the business? Um, do you have, um, you know, and then in those documents, do you have, um, you know, proper, say, termination provisions if things don't work out or if someone wants to leave? Have you included, um, you know, uh, provisions around confidentiality, uh, non-competition, non-solicitation, non-disparagement? So, so those are important because the last thing you want is someone working with you, um, you know, deciding, hey, I'm not going to work with you anymore. But hey, I, I, you know, the idea that you have for this business, that's great. I'm going to go do it myself. Like, that's mm-hmm. the last thing you want. And I'm going to steal your employees too. I'm going to go and get them to join me because I'll offer them more money or, um, you know, I've got some twist to, to this idea that I think is a lot better than yours. And so mm-hmm. just protecting yourself on that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, IP issues, uh, so yeah. intellectual property. Um, so just making sure that, um, you know, if particularly on the tech side, if you're a software based company or a technology based company, that your business owns the intellectual property. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, the, if you're bringing in independent consultants to work, uh, make sure that they've assigned all of, all of the intellectual property they've created to the business. Uh, cause mm-hmm. that's an important thing, particularly for, again, investors, people looking to buy your business down the road. Um, right. there's, there's also, uh, for software, just be aware. And a lot of businesses use open, uh, source software, yes. um, as part of, you know, building their business. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But just take a look at the licensing requirements. You know, um, mm-hmm. some of the licenses will say, "Hey, you can use our, the open source uh, open source software," but uh, in exchange, you, you're you know you have to everything becomes open source as well, including what you've built. Um, others might require that the source code be available to you know, to all the users. So just again, be careful about that because mm-hmm. um, if that's not what you want, then and if that's not what say you know someone looking to invest in your business or someone that might be looking to acquire your business once and it becomes a bit of an issue down the road. Right. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.imblake.co for more information. Okay, uh, no, fantastic, Jonathan, and you know, thanks so much for uh, you, you know sh- sharing uh, those observations with us, uh, and and the um, and of course the advice. And uh, I believe you really like hit uh, several nails on the head there. Um, certainly, a lot of things um, you know that you've mentioned that. Uh, founders or entrepreneurs and and their partners may or may not have thought about you know when they once they set out to start their own business so intellectual property certainly is one of them and the other one is about the formalization of the arrangement um you know between the partners and division of shares and uh you know the non-competitive and non-disparagement clauses and you know these are all definitely things that um any company should take into consideration before they you know they they, they start in their venture right 
Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I do think so. And, you yeah. know, it, it's um, often it's just a conversation, you know, it, it's just worth kind of highlighting and saying, hey, well, what do we want to do in these situations? And, mm-hmm. you know, by and large, I think most people have broad agreement on, on what the approach should be if it yeah. ever happened. But mm-hmm. if you don't have that conversation up front, then and you, you just don't know what will happen if yeah. and when one of those situations do pop up. That's right. That's right, and I, and I think you know to you know to a certain degree, and you've you know you've rightfully alluded to it in the past couple of minutes. I mean, these are conversations that, like, look, whether it's difficult or not, I think these are conversations that are absolutely necessary to have, right? And and especially like you know early on in the piece, um, you know, before uh, you, you know the company, you know, you start scaling it up, and and you know start the revenue starts to come in and what have you. Right. Yeah, and and you know maybe one of the reasons why people don't want to talk about it is that they they have this impression that oh, well if I talk to a lawyer they 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 all charge by the hour so mm. that initial conversation money and yeah I, I'll tell you that most um, you know firms most lawyers will. Um, we'll, we'll be happy to do an initial consultation just to at least yes. get a lay of the land, understand what it is right. that um, you know a potential client is looking for before you know formalizing some sort of engagement with them. And uh, you know, I, I certainly talk to a lot of people that mm-hmm. um, you know are, are perhaps a little bit too early stage for me to get involved, yeah. or um, they're actually looking for uh, someone else with uh, different expertise that I'm happy to recommend. You know, they they talk to a different person for. Right. Um, but but just having you know starting that conversation and just getting a sense of well, what, what should I think about? doesn't mean hey i'm paying for it right, it, right. you know where we can help you at least get a start to think about what it is you you should worry about now you know the immediate and maybe the medium term um, yeah. before you actually engage formally for you know, the actual legal services mm-hmm. no those are definitely incredible insights um and you know, uh, Jonathan, so some of the clients that you work with, um, I, I believe, especially in the, you know, um, in, in the field of uh, tech startups, you know, they find themselves in areas that are, you know, and you've mentioned it, I believe it was with blockchain and cryptocurrency. They are in areas that are constantly evolving and as such the challenges and the circumstances they might find themselves in will continue to um, change as well, right? So how would engaging a lawyer help these companies to adapt to the ongoing dynamics? And when I say ongoing dynamics, it's okay, for example, you know, as for example, uh, blockchain continues to evolve or like now with the current pandemic and the ongoing economic crisis. Yeah. So how, how, what, what kind of advice would you give them, you know, in, in order to adapt to these dynamics in the right way? I think that, um, you know, working with a, a good lawyer can help uh, companies get the insights that they may not otherwise um, have on their own because, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're focusing on building their own business, their own products, yes. you know, going out to their own customer. Um, and so they don't necessarily have the time or the resources to um, sort of consider uh, other factors that might be happening. So, you know, as an example, um, uh, the, the pandemic has forced a lot of people uh, you know, to not work in the office anymore, yes. make some difficult decisions when it comes to employees um, and, and consultants and uh, just, you know, from an HR perspective, what to do um, from the short term to the medium term. And also, uh, you know, in, in Canada, we've had a lot of good subsidies or subsidy yes. programs that were um, enacted, but very difficult to understand or to mm. find the, the time to figure out how do you apply for them and do you actually um, you know, qualify and when, what do you do there? So, you right. know, uh, during the early stages in say, you know, sort of March, April, uh, May, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people I was talking to, it wasn't, Hey, how can I help you from a tech or business perspective? It was, Hey, um, have you looked at, at the recent, um, 
you know, uh, say CWS subsidies, right? Maybe that mm -hmm. will help you with your payroll issues and maybe that will help you um, keep your, your employees a little bit longer until you get over this. Because um, I, I was talking to more than one business where they were making those difficult decisions. Do we, um, do we fire people and just give them their notice and pay them and, mm -hmm. you know, let them hopefully give them the opportunity to find another position? Or do we, you know, try to lay them off and wait until uh, they, you know, things turn around? And so what do mm -hmm. we do here? And so, it, you know, just giving them the, that insight, the information that they may not have the time to think about or look into, um, it, it definitely, I think, helped them at least decide what they want to do in a more informed way. Uh, when it comes to, you know, industries like blockchain, like you said, things move very yes. quickly. Yeah. Um, so, so someone like me, because uh, I, I, I try to keep, uh, keep abreast as to what's going on from a you know regulatory side of things and yes. you know recent developments and and so trying to bring some of those insights into hey this is what uh, the securities commissions in uh, say Canada are doing now when it comes mm -hmm. to crypto um, exchanges or this is what the SEC has um, just recently said about uh, you know a token issuance that happened two or three years ago and you know how they came down on that it, it helps uh, the companies get that insight into well if we want to do something similar. Um, should we do it the, the way they did it? Probably not. But is there a way for us to do it in a, in a way that is uh, hopefully more compliant or is completely compliant so they don't, we don't get in trouble with the regulators? So just mm. being able to kind of bring those insights, I think, can be very helpful for uh, businesses that are trying to navigate um, you know, uncertain situations. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's definitely fantastic advice. And, uh, you know, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. I mean, you've, you've, you've talked about it in the past couple of minutes, but um, I'd like to get your take on like, you know, some of the things that you've, the, the, the trends or the changes that you've seen, at least from a legal perspective, um, you know, as a result of what's, you know, what's going on, um, you, you know, around the world now, because, you know, clearly we're going through a crisis that's, uh, you know, of an unprecedented magnitude. And I'd just like to get your take on what you think's changed at least in the legal landscape in Canada and, um, you know, what kind of advice have you been giving clients as they struggle with all this uncertainty? Uh, yeah. So, you know, from, as a result of the pandemic, like, like I said, a lot of people are yeah. now staying at home. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, interesting uh, businesses that have um, either pivoted or, uh, or tried to um, uh, build new products that take advantage mm. of the, uh, the changing landscape. So yeah. as an example, I, I, a few months ago, um, you know, there was uh, when when people were still trying to figure out how to do contact tracing, mm -hmm. um, a business I was I, I, I was aware of um, had actually pivoted their business, which was originally um, technology for you know payment um, uh, in at, at large group events to uh, using their product for tracing of. Um, you know, employees, uh, people coming into the office, like just to get their information and and, and collect it so that um, you know contact tracing, you would have the information available. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was an interesting change. Um, you know, some of the businesses we've seen that have grown exponentially um, are, well, for example, Zoom is a really, really big one, right? You've seen sure. a yeah. lot of people now using that, um, mm -hmm. you know, taking advantage of uh, the, um, you know, the, the online technologies to interact uh, globally. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the interesting things about this is that Businesses are getting more uh, used to having a global workforce, a remote workforce. Mm. And so a lot of businesses are probably, um, you know, uh, when they originally thought this was going to be a short-term thing before everyone goes back to the office, yeah. are now thinking, well, this is going to be a long-term perspective. So, um, A, do we need the office space is the first question. And, yeah. you know, certain businesses... Um, 
have definitely come out publicly to say, well, maybe we don't need that space anymore. Mm. Um, I think, uh, and, and so that that's one thing. But then how do we maximize produ- uh, productivity for people working at home? And on top of that, well, do we need to be locally bound anymore? Because mm-hmm. we needed originally to look for people only in, say, Toronto, because our office mm. is in Toronto. Right. Well, if everyone's working remotely, why shouldn't I get the best talent globally or, mm. you know, at least, you know, say, in North America, so they're in the same time zone? So I think those are some, some of the interesting trends we're going to see. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm totally with you on that one. And, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And, um, you know, it's definitely true that, um, you know, now, now that everybody's, um, you know, working from home and working remotely, I mean, chances are that moving forward, um, for the most part, at least, that there's many people that are probably not going to return to the office or it's going to be a bit of a hybrid model, right? Like, you know, they're going to co- go in for a couple of days a week and then they're going to spend the rest of it at home. Um, and, and the other one, as you've uh, rightfully alluded to, is probably people that are, you know, uh, you're, you're going to work with a team that is um, based across different geographies or even time zones, right? And it won't, and, and it won't really matter as much as it used to anymore. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think for by and large, that's probably true. I, I mean, I, I do remember reading a few articles about how um, having uh, meetings with multiple people on Zoom is actually more fatiguing than yeah. doing meetings in person because you have to, you know, there's like the, I think more, a lot of it's more the focus issue, which is yes. you've got all these faces that you have to focus on all at once on your screen as opposed yeah. to when you're meeting someone in person, you can mm-hmm. focus on the person talking at any given time. And yeah. I, I, you know, personally, I think that there is a collaborative dynamic that, can only really happen in person. Some of yeah. the spontaneous meetings, you know, you run into someone in the office uh, on the hallway and say, hey, I was just thinking about this thing. Can we just, you know, have a quick a couple of minutes to talk about it? And then that turns into a completely new, you know, mm-hmm. say product or a new, sure. new development for the business. I, I, I don't think we're going to have that if all we do is have a purely remote, yeah. um, you know, remote situation. But I think we're going to end up with some kind of hybrid of the two, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of work can be done at home by yourself or, you know, uh, just by talking to people on the phone or through Zoom or, um, you know, other other means like that. But those collaborative moments, those, you know, aha moments that that a group can kind of come up with, I think we're mm-hmm. still, there's still a place for that. And, and particularly, yeah. you know, in like say the tech industry. Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it certainly will come with its own set of challenges undoubtedly, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one that, you know, not, nothing necessarily is going to replace, um, you know, the the dynamics or the energy that you'll get, with, you know, when, when you're having a face to face versus having a Zoom meeting where, you know, all you see is like different screens. I mean, you know, of, of course, that's going to be a completely uh, different experience. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, John, we, we come to one of my favorite parts of, uh, you know, these conversations that I have with uh, people I invite on. It's um, it's talking about commonly held beliefs, right? So, um, and, and like every other field of expertise, I'm pretty sure that the field of law and legal practice has its own set of um, conventional wisdoms and conventional, uh, like commonly held beliefs rather. Um, so talk to us about one such belief, but tell us why you strongly disagree with it and why. I think one of the um, you know the commonly held beliefs that uh, permeates not only the, the legal profession but but also for a lot of clients is the the perception that the whole point of a lawyer is to uh, is to really just point out and assess um, and, and all the potential risks that could happen to uh, a business if they took a certain direction. 
-hmm. So you're just going to look at a situation and say, well, here are all the terrible things that could possibly happen to you. Um, and, and that's, that's the job. But it, it, I think a lot of uh, younger lawyers look mm -hmm. at it from that perspective because uh, law school does train you to, in many ways, uh, be uh, a bit on the conservative side when it comes to, uh, to, to assessing risk, right? You, right. you know, your, your goal is to protect your client is, is the focus. Mm -hmm. But protecting your client doesn't mean just tell them all the terrible things that could happen. Um, you know, as you get more, I think, more experienced, the more experienced lawyers take that and say, okay, so we figured out all the potential issues that could happen in this situation. Now we've got paired down to what would realistically could potentially happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, what are the real risks? And also what are the, you know, minute risks that if it did happen would have a, uh, a major impact on the business. Mm -hmm. So taking the experience and kind of assessing with that lens. But on top of that, you then have to, um, if you want to be a, a good lawyer, uh, come up with the solutions, right? Um, mm -hmm. Propose how you get from point A to point B for the, the client and the business. And, and I think you get a lot of good lawyers that'll do that, but the client wants even more than that. If you want to be a great lawyer, if you want to be you know, that, um, that, that great advisor um, that, that they'll come back to over and over again, is helping them make the decision. So the clients ultimately decide which way they want to go with the business. But if all you do is provide them with, hey, here's the three solutions I could get you there, but I can't tell you which one to take, that's not entirely helpful. It's, I think, mm. saying, you know, going a little bit beyond that and saying, hey, um, here are the three solutions. Uh, you know, if I was in your shoes based on my understanding of your business, I'd probably choose A and here's why. But, you know, B is not bad either because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. C is okay too. Still your decision, but I'm going to help you figure out which path you want to take. Mm. And I think a lot of lawyers aren't willing to do that because they think that it puts them at risk, that the client blames them for, hey, right. I chose path A because you told me to do that. Mm. That's not the situation. The situation is you help the client decide what they want to do and they'll tell you what they want to do. Right, right. So if I've, uh, you know, so if I've understood you correctly in the past couple of minutes, you also see yourself or, or rather your role um, as, as a trusted advisor, right? So it's not just like you're, you're giving them a laundry list of solutions, but you're actually like advising them which uh, course of action um, you believe that they should take and, and what the reason for that action is. Right. And it's, again, it's just advice. It's, they don't mm. have to, you know, I've, I've mm. had plenty of clients where I, you know, I, I, that I know really well is who I, I go to and I say, look, here, here are the two solutions. I think you probably want to mm. do this one. Um, yeah. But then they come and say, well, actually, no, I'd rather take option B and here's why, you know, here's mm. a, a few additional facts that maybe I didn't tell you, or here's, here's my concern from a bigger picture down the road. And it, it but what it, does do by doing that is it facilitates that dialogue. And ultimately, at least the clients that I, I work with and um, you know on a long-term basis, that's what they're looking for. They're not just mm -hmm. looking for someone to tell, give them facts or you know solutions without context. It's about bringing in that context, being a part of their team ultimately. Um, and like you said, be their trusted advisor um, mm -hmm. and help them try to figure out what might be the best move uh, is um, not only today, but also for the medium and long-term. Exactly. Exactly. So, Jonathan, if you put yourself in the shoes of a, I don't know, a tech startup or a company of that nature, right? And and you know some th things of the you know some of the things that you've seen, um, you, you know, and as as you've been practicing law, um, what is and 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 I know that there's many things, but let's just let's just narrow it down to one thing, okay? Like, so what's the one thing that you believe people should start, and one is what is the one thing that people should stop doing? when it comes to engaging a lawyer? 
I'd say the one thing that they should start doing is uh, start talking to them mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when you're in a, at a position where you think you are forming that business, so it's more than just an idea that you're throwing around with your friends, but it's you right. know getting serious and you know you're thinking about putting some real resources into it. Um, you know, as I said before, like don't, don't leave until later. Um, you know, the the results of of not having um, you know sort of come up with the right approach to to start the business can have some pretty bad consequences down the road. Um, And like I said, most lawyers are willing to have that initial conversation, not charge you for it. So Mm. um, go, go talk to the people who are willing to, you know, let's kind of put you in the right path and, uh, and, and, and do that. Uh, What, what I think people should stop doing is, is focusing on just the price. Uh, Mm. Yes. You can get lawyers that are very expensive. You can get lawyers that are, you know, uh, on the cheaper side. I mean, historically, um, lawyers charge an hourly rate and the hourly rate increases as you get more experience. So, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, yes, you could get someone that was cheaper, but you know, chances are they might be uh, less experienced and perhaps you need that experience. And I, I would say for people who are starting businesses, you do want someone with, uh, with some experience or perhaps a lot, a lot of experience to be able to give you some of the additional um, a more junior lawyer just may not be able to do so. Mm. And uh, like, you know, as an example, um, there are a lot of uh, uh, startup um, packages that the big firms are are, are throwing around. And I, I think they have, a, there's a, you know, a place for them. And, you know, for a, a good, uh, you know, a fixed fee, they'll set you up, set up your corporation, maybe uh, do a shareholders agreement with you and your co-founder and kind of send you on your way, which is great. Mm. But um, just be aware that the, that a lot of that work, because they're trying to give it at a, such a low rate, mm-hmm. is probably being done by someone who's a bit more junior, um, who can do the documents, but may not have the insight to ask you some of the questions that uh, should be asked before you actually go down the, the path of uh, starting you know, that business with your co-founder. So just mm-hmm. sort of keep that in mind. I, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be working with uh, big firms or, uh, or you, know, you should only work with uh, sole practitioners. I think that there's a time and place for uh, for you know, big firms, medium firms, uh, sole practitioners. There's a space for everybody, and there's a there's a time and place to use them. Exactly. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. For all of you, um, you know, out there that are thinking of um, starting your business or already have a business going, and some of the things you uh, you should start or stop doing before you engage a lawyer. And if you're in doubt, or when in doubt, rather, um, please feel free to hit up Jonathan. Ip. Speaking of which, um, how do people out there get in touch with you? Uh, well, you can find my website. Uh, it's iterativelaw.com. Uh, and I'm also available on LinkedIn. So, uh, you know, please feel free to uh, reach out to me if you have any questions. Amazing. Jonathan, this session has been really informative. And I have no doubt that the listeners, I mean, I, for one, have I've walked away from today's discussion having learned something new. <laughs> so thanks so much um, again for your time. And, um, you, you know, um, we really appreciated it. No, thanks for having me, uh, Christian. And, uh, you know, look forward to doing this again soon. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks so much, Jonathan. So, you you know, you take care, be safe, and uh, talk soon. Bye for now. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you.